just so proud of a man. I'm Tommy Salmons. This is Year Zero. Today, I had the great pleasure of speaking with Scott Spaulding from the Anti-War Podcast. I asked Scott to join me to talk about the Defend the Guard Act. This is a special bonus episode, I guess you could say, since you're getting three episodes this week. But I thought this was time-sensitive and needed to be put out there, so I figured, why not? Before I get started, go to ryanbunting.com for all your graphic design needs. He designed Free Man Beyond the Wall with Pete Quinones podcast logo. He designed my podcast logo and he designed the cover for my upcoming book, Nowhere's Path. So ryanbunting.com for all your graphic design needs. He's a great libertarian, anarcho-capitalist, almost a communist, Ryan. <laughs> almost called you a communist, you fucking commie bastard. And as always, thank you, Tom Burton, for the music. Enjoy the show. All right, man, I got Scott Spaulding on the line with me. What's going on, buddy? Hey, not too much. How you doing, Tommy? Ah, same old, same old. <laughs> so I asked you on here because in the, at least in the libertarian circles in the news, in the anti-war movement in the news, we have the Defend the Guard Act that's going up uh, in front of 30 different state legislatures. I know uh, Scott Horton just spoke in front of the Texas legislature. Um, I guess it was Monday. So mm -hmm. um, I put out, you know, uh, a call for anybody who wanted to come on and talk about it and you were like, let's do it. And I said, all right, come on. So for any listeners that, that didn't hear my interview with Mike Meharry last year about Defend the Guard, um, can you give us a background on what it is? Yeah, absolutely. So Defend the Guard is actually what really got me active. I was kind of a passive person until I finally saw an action item for like the peace movement. I, um, I'm a libertarian, anti-war veteran, and uh, this is like... It was about a year last november a year ago i learned about this and i was just like but here's something that could work it just um so what it is is uh a bill that it's a state level bill so it's a state trying to reinvoke some of its power over the national guard the national guard kind of progressively like every other thing in the in the uh different in state government has been slowly kind of the states have let themselves be led by the dollar to do whatever the federal government tells them to. So for the last hundred years, there's been several National Guard acts that have kind of given more and more federal control. The Defend the Guard Act is intended to try to reinvoke some of that control by saying that you can't deploy the National Guard overseas unless Congress has declared war, which is important because the National the you know, the last time we declared war was against Romania during World War II. Uh, in like late 1942 or mid 1942 every war since then and this has been kind of become an issue recently because a lot of people aren't really clear on this they've used things like authorizations of use of military force which is basically congress punting there's a good reason why congress has um has 
the War Powers Act because the executive has an interest in involving and impoverishing its people in war. It's historically, kings have always, you know, I'm, I'm quoting Lincoln here actually of all people, but kings had always been in, involving and impoverishing their people in war. And they have this interest in, in, in getting more power through war. So wisely, um, I'm not the biggest fan of the world of constitution, but one of the smarter things they did was put war powers in the hands of Congress alone because they're supposed to represent the people, not the executive. And Congress has been punting this power over the executive by saying, well, you can go to war whenever you feel like it with these authorizations to use the military force. And that's not declaring war. It's not, it, it's them laying that, oh, well, we said they could, and then they did. That's not really our fault. Um, so the idea is with the and the guard act that states will pass a bill saying, well, unless Congress has declared war formally, the national guard is off the table for use in the wars. And this is powerful and effective because the national guard composes during the peak of the Iraq war, it was about half of the total personnel on the ground. Um, so if they want to get involved in something as big as Iraq or bigger, they need the National Guard. Um, and so taking even one state's National Guard out of play throws a wrench in the whole works for them. So even if just one state were to pass this, it would take that state's guard out of play and they depend on rotating through forces. They depend on the Air National Guard, um, which is a part two. I mean, like half of the A-10 squadrons say um, are in the National Guard. So if one state that had an A-10 and, and almost all the refuelers and transport aircraft, lots of those are National Guard. Even Reaper units, those drone units, they, some National Guard units fly those. So if they were, if one state that has any of those components were to, it takes a piece out of, off the, off the chessboard for them. And they kind of rely Let's just say um, an A-10 squadron at the end of a four-month deployment, it's like maybe out of 20, 30, 22 aircraft, about two or three are fully operational. The rest need a, a year of downcycle maintenance to get them back up and running, and the people need the time. So you take that chess piece off the board, and it means that every other A-10 squadron has to pick, pull, the, pull more weight. And that and that works for an infantry unit too. They need downtime also. So defend the guard is a way for states to take their chess piece off the board and out of the forever wars. And if they were to do this, it would force Congress to do one of like three things: either um, either declare war and put their names to the bill because only about 15, 12 to 15% of sitting Congress people, some of the senior leadership ever voted on the Iraq or Afghanistan AUMFs. But this was 20 years ago now. And believe it or not, most of them have retired. So none of that, none, most of the people in Congress right now never voted on the AUMFs that exist. They're just going along with it. Um, so they're, they're, like, they're, they're so removed from responsibility for what's going on. So they would either be forced to vote and declare war. Now, it's likely that they would not because they're cowards, generally, and they don't want to be held responsible for anything. So one thing they but that's one thing they could do is be forced to instead of follow the AOMFs, declare war and and then while well, the National Guards would have to go along, even if the Defend the Guard Act were passed. But 
it's more likely they'll try to challenge it in court. And in court, what you would have to have then is for the first time ever, the Supreme Court dealing with the executive and whether AUMFs are legitimate, because that's never been challenged, but this would give states standing to challenge it in Supreme Court, whether an AUMF is a legitimate way, constitutional way to send forces into combat. And I would contend we have a good chance of winning there. So if a state were to pass this bill and then and then um, come into a conf, what would happen would be Joe Biden's or the president's administration, whoever it would, would probably try to challenge it, deploy that state's unit. Because this happened once in the 90s about a civilian of about a non-combat deployment. It was actually in the late 80s about a, a non-combat deployment to um, Honduras, I believe. Um, and some state governors didn't want their troops being sent to Honduras for a variety of reasons. And um, it came to a conflict, it came to a head then and the Supreme Court said, well, for non-combat training deployments, and they, they were very clear by saying training deployments, the National Guard can be sent overseas, even if the state objects. But they said training, they didn't say combat. So there's a little bit of lack of clarity there. So this would confront that issue of how much control the state has over its guard and it could actually put the AUMFs into question whether whether Congress is allowed to do this or whether those AUMFs are unconstitutional because that's never been challenged. Um, and then the, the third option really is they could try to punish the state. Um, that's the third option. It's the most likely because what we've seen uh, and we'll talk about these a little bit but the testimonies that we've seen where states have had um, the adjutant general of their state's guard is usually the only person who will speak out against the bill. You'll have five, 10, five, 10 veterans, five, 10 different people speaking in these different state legislators in favor of the bill, giving all the reasons to support it. And the only person speaking against it will be someone who's being paid to be there by the state with a vested interest in maintaining their fiefdom. And it'll usually be the general in charge of that state's guard who will say, well, if this bill passes, uh, then they might take away our state's um, units. They might, they might reduce our state's funding. And now to libertarians like me, it's like, well, go ahead and make my day, buddy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, <laughs> don't, don't, don't threaten me with a good time. Right. You know? <laughs> um, but even if the, uh, even if, but even for someone not like me, maybe a conservative, you wouldn't want, like, even someone who's not like me, if they threaten to do that, it really kind of gives away the whole game that these National Guards are, they're leading you down the primrose path. They're, they're leading you by the nose with federal dollars. Mm -hmm. you, don't, you don't control your guard or you only control your guard so much as you're willing to give up these 30 pieces of silver that we're holding out in front of you. Right. You know what I mean? Um, and so you can sell out your soul for, for, for this money if you want, you know, but, um, but even then it kind of gives away that the federal government doesn't really care about your state having a guard. It doesn't really care about your state's needs or protecting your state or any of those things. It cares about the obedience of that state to do whatever the executive damn well pleases with your state's guard. So like, even if they were to try to punish the state, they would probably shoot themselves in the foot a little bit. And also um, we should really call, like even then just call their bluff because you know what, moving an air wing unit is not as easy as one, two, three. You know, you need, 
you know, one squadron of Air National Guard planes needs about a thousand support people. You know what I mean? And all of those are pretty highly trained. So they're not just going to, and, and the difference between National Guard and active duty, active duty, you can transfer anyone, anywhere, anytime. So you right. could say, well, you know, you're in the active duty Air Force and, and we're going to transfer you across to Norfolk next week and you have to take the orders. National Guard members, it doesn't work that way. They have to recruit people who live in the area and people homestead. One person stays in one National Guard unit sometimes for 40 years, right? The whole career. So, and, and there's good and bad things to that, but the bad thing for the state is they want to shut down a National Guard unit. They've got to recruit all new people in a new state. They can't transfer people. They could maybe offer bonuses or try to get people to move with that unit, but they can't force the people to move. Right. They've got to find new people. So you want to get that squadron up and running? You move it, you threaten the state by taking away their squadron? Well, you got to, you got to train a thousand new people. And sometimes those schools take two years to go through. A jet engine mechanic, a new jet engine mechanic there in school for a year, year and a half. You got to recruit somebody, put them in training for a year, year and a half in that new state where you've transferred that squadron to. Or you got to offer bonus money to get somebody to move there or to join up. So the threats they have are pretty weak. They make them look bad if they do it. Um, I don't really think that they'll follow through with it. So that, so sorry, that's a long answer to a short question, which is to reiterate, the Defend the Guard Act is a bill for states to say that their state's National Guard can't be used in a war unless it's been declared formally by Congress. And the upshot, the, the, the ripples that come out from there are pretty important and I think have a real influence in a real way for us if you're a libertarian, especially, or if you're anti-war, to have an, a meaningful impact uh, to end the wars. Right. Well, and you you look at what what you, what the National Guard is intended for is for the state's you know services to the state. And I remember, um, I think it was Katrina when the National Guard of Louisiana was actually deployed overseas and they needed their help there in new orleans and there was no one there right yep. so then they had to start importing national guards from other states which took you know multiple yeah, days it, del it delayed by as much as a two weeks um and it included all of their helicopters all, you remember all the people that were on those rooftops mm -hmm. all of the Nas louisiana national guards helicopters were in iraq right they had and they had not and states have kind of worked around this now but they had not, they had to fly, they had to pack up the, I think it was the South Dakota guard or some other, like some um, upper Western states uh, guards helicopters and get them onto cargo aircraft and fly them down to Louisiana, and unpack them, put them back together for them to do that rescue effort right. because they didn't have any helicopters on their own mm -hmm. where they were overseas. Yeah. Uh, and more recently in Oregon, when they had the wildfires, Oregon's firefighting helicopters were also in Afghanistan. So like there's this real carelessness this the federal government has about even considering the risk of like natural disaster mm -hmm. um, when they're taking, they don't even really factor it in. Like we're gonna take, we're taking your helicopter air ambulance units right at the beginning of Corona, an air ambulance from, unit from Michigan was deployed overseas. It's like, well, we didn't know what Corona was at the time. Might not have been the best time to have them flying um, around in Saudi Arabia. You know, maybe if this was a bigger, deal than it is and we really needed a lot of air ambulances and whatnot not a good time to have them overseas 
if we're if you're in hurricane season, you probably shouldn't be taking National Guard units from the from the hurricanes prone regions. If it's wildfire season, maybe not from up in the Northwest, but federal government doesn't care. They don't care about your state. Their National Guard is your state's guard is it's a fiction that it belongs to. It's it's being made a fiction. They have gradually taken so much control of the guard that it's no longer that state's militia. It's or it's no longer treated as that. And we need to you know, put a stop to that because people do need their guard for I heard, a, I heard a great quote last night by uh michael malice and he said <clears throat> he said we're led to believe that war is a la- last result or resort sorry war is a last resort but to the state it's the first priority and i was like you know that 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 speaks volumes to like you said the carelessness behind using the national guard for the purposes of war overseas. Even uh, my buddy, Pete Quinona is a free man beyond the wall. He interviewed a guy that was in the coast guard and they were, uh, they were in the coast guard, the United States coast guard off the coast of Somalia. Yep. Like whose coast are you protecting? Mm-hmm. You know? And so, so the, again, it's just carelessness in that factor. And when I think about when I first heard about the Defend the Guard Act, the reason I talked to Mike Meharry about it is because he works at the 10th Amendment Center. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about oh, Michael Bolden had come up with a proposal that if you wanted to stop NSA spying, what you needed to do is get the state of Utah to cut off the water supply to the server centers because they need like 20 tons of water every day to keep the servers cool. So if you want to stop the NSA spying operation, you need to get the state to nullify their ability to spy, you know, Mm -hmm. by cutting off the resources. And that's kind of what the Defend the Guard Act is. It's cutting off our human resources from the federal government, unless, like you said, they constitutionally declare war. Mm -hmm. And and so when when you see these people in front of the state uh, legislatures and, and they're making these types of. Uh, they're they're talking to the legislature and making their presentations. What is the overwhelm overwhelming response? Is it positive? Uh, by the uh, like the by the state legislators? Yes, yes. You know it's been hard to judge. So I testify before the I, I, they had somebody cancel. They you know they try to get when they do these they try to get somebody as many people from in state as possible and ha- you know uh, the South Dakota one they had one of their speakers cancel. So I spoke. Um, and I've watched uh, some of the other ones. I watched the Texas one and the Michigan one. Um, and, you know, they're, they're a little bit weighing the issues. Be really disappointing. And this, especially if you happen, um, I'll send you the links to these in case you want to include them because I pulled okay. them up. But um, the if you want to watch, like the Texas one and uh, a fellow from, uh, he used to be with Student for Liberty. I don't think he is anymore, but a fellow named Diego um, laced into the state legislators deservedly so because they know nothing about this This is the veterans and military affairs committee is usually where these bills get routed through Mm -hmm. and wait you mean there we haven't declared war you know basic facts of history basic (laughs) facts are are well what was how when's the last time we declared war where who are we at war with uh are we are we like literally the level of ignorance by these people who legislate over us and this is not just like any old it's the military and veterans affairs committee which mostly admittedly at the state level they deal with veterans affairs 
is mostly the most of the response is ignorance and not understanding at all. So we got a lot of groundwork to do trying to get in the ear of our state legislators and, and get them even familiar with this and caring about it. That part of the problem, one of the things we bump up against with is, that, and it's also part of the beauty of it, is that state legislators don't usually deal or stick their toes in sort of foreign policy areas, right? right? Um, it's not something they're necessarily geared towards because states don't get to make foreign policy. So that, and that's why routing this, like you said, when uh, Michael Bolden wanted to cut off the water supply to the NSA, it's trying to go do an end run around Congress who we know is, uh, let's just say the military industrial congressional complex. They're, they're, they're in cahoots. Yeah. Congress people are not. Ray McGovern calls them the Mickey Matt. Yeah. Have you, have you heard his? Uh, I, 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 yes. Refresh my memory though. I the military industrial congressional intelligence, um, media, academia, think tank yeah, complex <laughs> i know i could get yeah, through I mean, it, it, it keeps scrolling <laughs> out but yeah um I, I remember hearing that one before and I, I, it, so he um but you're right like so congress they're just not going to be lend a very sympathetic ear towards this thing right. we know that that they, they've been punting they don't want to weigh in on war even though it's their job but we the hope with this is that the state legislators will be willing to because they're you know Raytheon hasn't been sliding them dollar bills, you know, and campaign contributions so much. Right. So one of the upsides is even if, let's just say, if we make, even if we don't have any success passing this bill, let's say we don't, even if then we keep up the activism and we keep our bug in state legislators ears and it keeps getting introduced every year. Well, that means that general from the adjutant uh, from this national guard has to spend, dedicate some of his time and resources testifying every year against it. Mm -hmm. Right. And it means that Raytheon and all the defense contractors that bought our Congress need to buy our state legislators, too. So it'll hit them in the wallet a little more than they, they're, they're accustomed to. Right. You know. So even if it didn't have any success, the fact that they'll have to be bought isn't the worst thing in mm -hmm. a straight in a perverse sense. You know what I mean? Right. But um, but the downside of that is that our state legislators, because they haven't been in that foreign policy game, are kind of ignorant of it. So we've got a lot of work to do kind of outreach. And I held a little conference with some state legislators who had adopted it, talking about the best way to reach your state legislators. And the general consensus was, because I, you know, I tried everything. I tried letter writing. I tried op-eds. I tried tweet storming. I tried... Um, uh, I tried like showing up at their fundraisers. The best thing they said they could do is try to get a meeting and don't make your agenda too clear. Just say that you want to talk about a veterans issue or something like that, you know, mm -hmm. and get a face-to-face -face meeting with them. So you, and then kind of tell them your personal story um, and get their ear and tell them, and then educate them a little bit as much as you can. The, um, was the general consensus the best approach. Now this is, um, uh, so, so state legislators need to be educated on this because a lot of them re really aren't tracking on this. Um, their responses have been a little bit mixed. Uh, it's just, it's generally sympathetic. So like they're sympathetic to the concept, like, uh, in South Dakota, they were willing to pass a resolution or, but they're afraid to go so far as making it a resolution doesn't have any actual teeth. 
you know what I mean? Which is part of why they're willing, they're sympathetic to the idea, but they don't want to do anything that could put them out there on the line either. Right. Um, uh, one thing I find effective when I hear it, although I don't know, although I don't know how it affects the state legislator. So when I was listening to the Michigan one and when uh, Pat McGeehan gave his discussion of uh, speech about it last year, he said, you know, the next time a guardsman um, is deployed and killed, I'm going to come and I'm going to be, if you had a chance to vote yes on this bill and you voted no, and this is a fellow from Michigan who said it, their blood's on your hands this time. You know what I mean? The next time a guardsman from your, if you vote no on this bill, I'm going to be coming for you. And I'm gonna make sure everyone knows that you had a chance to stop this from happening and you didn't, you know what I mean? Yep. Um, I find it rhetorically effective. I don't know that legislators like being um, bullied that way, but maybe they deserve it. I don't know. Um, but we definitely have to uh, try to find ways to influence them and educate them because Generally, the response from the committees I've seen has been sort of lukewarm, um, not antagonistic, and just listening and taking in and not really, really, generally, most of them kind of ignorant of it, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I think they'll get to know more over time, uh, which is good. The counter response uh, has always, like I said, only been from the... Um, paid for guard representative of the national guard. Mm -hmm. uh, and one of the things that happened at least with South, one, you know, this is a national effort sort of there it's introduced in 30 States, which is a good thing. But weirdly I've seen that some of the counter narrative has been, well, these are these out of state agitators who are trying to um, introduce their issue to our state. Which and that came from the Michigan one and in the South Dakota one, they said, "Well, you know, the, these, uh, you know, the, the, they're trying to introduce a national issue to us to the states and 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 it really rang hollow, especially like so the 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 general in South Dakota was like, "Well, we see we have three people that aren't from South Dakota and one person from South Dakota and three people who aren't from South Dakota testifying in favor of the bill, and I'm here speaking on behalf of all of the National Guard of Na South Dakota." In, against the bill mm -hmm. it's like well you don't get to speak for your subordinates nobody right. would accept it so none of those state legislators would have accepted it the ceo of walmart said that he spoke for all the people who worked for walmart right you know what i mean mm -hmm. but and and in the military it's even more coercive of a relationship you know so yeah. but for some reason they took that as legitimate and i heard the same tones coming out of michigan when they spoke against it they said well this is they're trying to make a political issue. They're using our soldiers as pawns and we don't respect that. And it's like the 10 soldiers that just spoke for it, including several mission guard members, uh, you know, they don't seem to feel that way. They seem to feel like they're, they're ones being used as pawns right now. Right. You know? Um, yeah. And so it's, I, I think we're making progress. Uh, the Texas, so th thus far it's been, uh, status update on the different states. Uh, West Virginia um, has been the longest going state trying to get it passed. And Pat McGeehan is really, you know, doing Sisyphean tasks. He tries to get that rock up the hill every year. And I don't think he's ever going to quit. But um, but this year it didn't get dis He's trying to get it. They're trying to kill it in committee. And he's trying to get a floor wide vote to get it out of committee and onto the whole floor for a debate. And he's having trouble with that. Um, 
in Idaho, where the originator, uh, one of the key leaders in this movement, Dan McKnight, uh, has been working the most. Uh, he seems to think it has pretty widespread support, but the Speaker of the State House keeps playing a dirty trick. There's some strange law in Idaho that says that the Speaker gets to decide which bills are printed, and if it hasn't been printed, then it can't be introduced okay. or something along yeah, those lines. Okay. So he just won't print it. Hey. Um, <laughs> it's like a, a, a weird... Um, it's a technicality that they're using. Technical loophole to yeah. block it. Um South Dakota, the committee said we would have passed a resolution, but we're not going to pass the bill. And they didn't vote against it. They said they did something where they're saying we're um, we're going to we're going to revisit this on the last day of our session. And I think that's what they do with everything they want to vote down is just punt it to the last mm. day is what mm. I gather. Uh, Texas went pretty well. Um, and we have a feeling I have a feeling it might actually pass committee in Texas. That's the rumblings I've heard. Well, I'll be on the phone with my uh, my uh, state legislature here after we get Great. done recording here. Yeah, I'm uh, yeah. I'm in the 19th district, so. Um, and let's see, Michigan. I it sounded like it sounded like it went pretty well in Michigan. Uh, it's they're waiting. It's not been voted. So both in Texas and Michigan, it went well, but it hasn't been voted on by the committee for the next step. Yep. So that's where it stands. So if you're in Michigan or Texas, you need to apply some pressure. Uh, Maine has an upcoming date. Uh, Harrison Kemp is a good contact on that. Um, he runs uh, the Liberty Happy Hour podcast, and he's the Libertarian Party Mises Caucus guy from Maine. Okay. Um, and April, hold on, I have the date here. I have the date. Uh, April 12th is the hearing date for Maine. So if you want to get on a speaking thing, get a hold of Dan McKnight, get a hold of Bring Our Troops Home, get a hold of De Harrison Kemp um to and they'll get you uh like a slot to speak that's what they're trying to do is get as many people to speak for the bill as they can mm -hmm. so if you're in maine and you want to speak for it um make sure you, you put that on your calendar for april 12th and try to get um some and try to get a hold of somebody to speak for it and then um other big states that have it coming up are uh, New Hampshire, Oklahoma, South Carolina, Florida, and Hawaii. Um, they're still waiting on committee dates for those, but mm -hmm. they, uh, but there's, and then there's a bunch of other states that have it introduced. Um, I know the fellow in Florida, um, the fellow who supported it has a little bit of a profile. His name's Sabatini, I think. Okay. Um, so, and Florida would be a big, good state to do it because the other thing, in my logic is the bigger the state, the bigger, well, the bigger the state, the bigger the impact. Right. And the harder for them to um, punish. They yeah. can't, they can't like, they can't move every National Guard unit out of Texas or out of Florida or out of California. So if a big state like that were to do it, like, what are they going to pack up and move the entire Texas National Guard? Good luck. Yeah. You well, I mean? I mean, also you think about it, if you could get, you know, you were talking about just one state would throw a, throw a wrench in their plans. If you could, if you could successfully get Texas, Michigan, and Florida mm. all to all to back the Defend the Guard Act, that would cause a lot of turmoil in in, in mm. the federal government's ability to start wars. Mm -hmm. And also, there are purple kind of swingy states too, so punishing them would not go over as well. Right. You know. Um, so those would be some huge ones. So if you're listening in Florida, get I think Sabatini's his name um, and supported it there. 
Hawaii would be a big Hawaii. It's actually introduced by a Democrat representative um, named Kobayashi. And he seemed uh, last I spoke to him, very optimistic that it would uh, would pass easily. I don't know where it stands now. Um, he almost seemed overly optimistic to me because he was like, well, I got it. All I got to do is introduce it and it'll go right through. I think sail right through, you know, the I, way I would. Um, yeah, I would imagine that this and I had talked to uh, Eric Sawyer, who's uh, part of the Mises caucus um, in Boston. And I had talked to him about it. And he had, he had told me that Tulsi Gabbard is really pushing it in Hawaii. And I, really? I assume that she has enough backing in Hawaii and, you know, that, that it'll be pretty easy for, for her to promote it. That's what I was told. I, I haven't heard anything from her, but you know, if, yeah. if, if she is being a national guard major, you know, mm. actively that, that is, brings a lot of clout, you know? Yeah, absolutely. That would be huge. Um, uh so I, I yeah i don't know where that stands but it would be great if it and i think hawaii would be one that would be it, me i'm here in maryland and i have not been able to get any traction um i haven't been able to get a, a anything <laughs> even a meeting with my state legislature so i i thought it would be a slam dunk here especially when it would you know last it when i picked this up a year and a half ago when trump was still president and he was rattling the saber with iran and stuff i was mm -hmm. like here you know uh, I got this layup legislation for you and they, they just didn't want to hear it. Um, and that might've been a failing on my part with the, my approach, but, um, yeah, I think it's, it's got huge potential. I think this is, I, I, I don't see, oh, the other, I don't see any way that just getting it introduced and voted on isn't even a win. Cause the other thing, um, one thing to add is that even if nothing else, getting your, a lot of state legislators are only going to be state legislators, but a lot of them have higher aspirations. And so getting them on the record voting on this is a way to know, like if they have higher aspirations, it's only, they, it's a way to find out where they stand on foreign policy before mm -hmm. they move to that next level, before right. they, and that might be why they're hesitant to do it. But if you care about, war and peace, if you care about foreign militarism or any of those things, it would be good to at least get to see them vote on it, even if it's voting on the resolutions, although that's a little easier um, for them to do, to get them to plant a flag somewhere and show where they stand early. So even if, like I said, I don't think there's any downside to pushing this, you know, yeah. I think from every angle, it's a win. Even if, it, even if we get it into committee and it dies, you know that those people who killed it aren't your friends. You know what I mean? And that's something you, that's a piece of information you didn't know before. Right. You know? Um, so I, I really think it's got a lot of, it's got huge potential to make it. It seems small when you're just saying only the National Guard out of the wars uh, and only out of the wars, but I think it has huge impact potential. And I think it only, it only takes one, one state to make uh, to make a big impact and make it make a statement on the wars and get maybe a Supreme Court case over it, you know, um, force Congress to to start paying attention again. And there, the support I've never I've never seen anyone who wasn't being paid to speak against it speak against it. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, you know, that's one of the things when the the Texas legislature announced. Um, I can't remember the guy's name now off the top of my head. Uh, Biederman announced mm -hmm. that he was going to bring uh, uh, 
a, a resolution in front of the Texas state legislature whenever they convened to um, to institute Texas, which is basically mm -hmm. Texas secession. Mm -hmm. And the referendum was intended. It's intended to get the legislature to approve a vote for the population to democratically, you know, you know, mm -hmm. vote on whether or not Texas leaves the union or not. Mm -hmm. And he had said that the, the entire purpose from his point of view, which he may have just said this because he was on the Glenn Beck program, but he had said his his entire purpose bringing this forward wasn't to, to secede from the United States, but just to leverage the United States. Right. Mm -hmm. So this uh, a bill of this nature, um, the 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 defend the guard act would be right along those lines of that idea to to leverage the United States to get back mm -hmm. into their the constitutionally constitutional restraint. And I'm a lot like you. I'm not a huge fan of the Constitution. There's a lot of flaws in the Constitution. But if we lived in a government that was strictly gone by the Constitution, it would be a lot better than where we live right now. You yeah. know. So hey. Hold on, dude. You've been good so far. <laughs> We're almost done. <laughs> he, he's always got to make an appearance. Handsome so. <laughs> boy. Yeah, he's a big old baby. But so, so he, uh, so if we could get like make enough of a ruckus to where somebody like a Glenn Beck can hear it and promote it on the national stage and actually, you know, bring it ahead, you know, get an Eric July who works for the blaze, who's a libertarian mm -hmm. talking about it, you know, openly and, yeah. and kind of bring some attention to these, these bigger microphones. It would, it would go a long way to begin to leverage the federal government in order to take away some of their powers and their abilities to send our children to die. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, one of the other things I, I noticed, and I was trying to figure out what the angle was in the Texas uh, committee, uh, well, they were discussing it. One of the, I think it was only one of the, the, it was maybe the chair of the committee, but I also got a sense of this from the Michigan committee and the, um, and the South Dakota committee. Um, they're trying to gauge whether this is an anti, and this is where it's tricky, you know, um, they're trying to gauge whether this is an anti all wars bill or an anti unconstitutional wars bill or what is it? And I think ultimately it is limited in scope. You and I might have aspirations for it to end all the wars that we're participating in. Um, but the beauty of this is that it's, it's narrow. It's just coalition building on how about, I think a lot more people could agree that ending some of these endless unconstitutional wars undeclared by Congress and getting Congress to do their job and put their name on the lines is something we all should agree on. This is like, if they're going to, if they're the ones responsible, which they are, then how dare they after 20 years and none of them in office having, and you know, a lot of the one, the other thing that's interesting, some of the ones that voted on it, like that 12% that did vote on it, most mm -hmm. of them voted against at least the Iraq AOMF that's still standing. Most of the ones that stayed in office voted against. So now when we're talking about the 9-11 AOMF, the only one who voted against it was Barbara Lee, and she's still in office. Right. Everyone else voted for it. But like of those AOMFs, only a tiny, like after 20 years, asking them to actually vote on it again is not too much to ask, Right. you know? And, um, and, so they're trying to gauge whether this is 
a full on, well, we don't want any wars. And it's like, well, you know, I don't, you know what I mean? And I don't know who the hell does, frankly, like mm-hmm. who's pro war. You might, right. you might, at the very least, you're a psychopath unless you are reluctantly for war, maybe, you know what I mean? But like, there's, I don't think there's any, anyone out there who's just like hawking it up as a lunatic. Um, so it doesn't have to be framed as an anti-war bill. Um, and it might be beneficial to not frame it as that, but just simply, and, they, and like I said, they were just trying to gauge like, well, are you against all wars? Do you want us out of these wars? And it's like, you know, yes, I do. And, and we, then people were afraid to be candid about that. And I think it's like, well, yes, I want us out of these wars, especially if we can't, if our elected representatives, elected, um, if our elected <laughs> representatives um, can't even be bothered to put their name on the line over it. Right. You know what I mean? Like, yes, if our elective representatives can't even like put their name to it, then no, I don't want this. I don't want any wars that our elected representatives won't put their name on. You know what I mean? Yeah. And anyone who opposes that is, is some kind of a shill. Uh, you know, there's no other way to put it. Like, but yeah, they, they, they're trying to weigh like, who are these people that are opposing wars? You know what I mean? And they don't really understand it, which again yeah. speaks to that ignorance aspect. Like they, it's just been on the back burner for people. I mean, God knows how many people have forgotten that we're at war. You know, yeah. yeah. Um, or they, well, they, or they don't consider it that we're at full fledged war anymore. Yeah. That we're just occupying these these nations like we do in Japan and Germany and you know all these other bases that we have. What two hundred plus bases around the world, you know, mm-hmm. and so they don't they don't even acknowledge that there's still combat you know that the united states military is still engaged in combat in syria in in afghanistan Mm -hmm. in yemen you know the things that are going on in yemen are just terrible and and you know the next whenever i release this episode i'm also releasing an episode i just recorded yesterday with (laughs) with matthew ho you know, oh, wow. and, yeah. And, um, he's a, he's a really good dude. He's a really good friend of mine. Uh, I love him to death. And he's, he, he, he did a presentation for his master's, uh, program that he's in called don't thank me for my service. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was a really interesting presentation. He put it out publicly as a podcast. And mm-hmm. I was like, Hey man, I want to get you on to talk about this. Cause I thought it was really interesting. And mm-hmm. the, you know, talking about the religious aspect of, the way that the American people look at veterans in this kind of like, as like a priest almost, or this, mm-hmm. you know, this kind of like religiosity around ve- veterans in the military. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really impactful that people like you that are veterans that have served in combat and, and it, are, are out there speaking out. I think that's mm-hmm. huge, you know, because it, yeah. it makes people think twice because not everybody sounds like a Marcus Luttrell or a Tim Kennedy, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's why it, it's, it is great that it's, uh, you know, we need to expand our scope, but it is great that we have a lot a good, a, a really good stack of veterans who are the main proponents of this bill. Um, I think we need to grow it outwards some and uh, get some more people, more widespread support, like you said. Uh, but, and you're right that there's this you know, what I usually say is if you want to thank me for my service, work for peace. You know what I mean? Like, 
and I'd, I'd love to talk with you later about uh, getting in touch with Matthew Ho, uh, because um, my little movement, if you don't mind, is uh, plugging uh, something. No, go ahead. I was going to let you do yeah. all your plugs right before before we got off here. Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, well, I'll, uh, well, I'll do it now. <laughs> Sorry. That's fine. That's fine. Uh, I'll, I'll also put links to everything. So we'll, yeah. yeah we'll um, so my little thing has been, and I, I'd love to. I'll, I'll shoot you a DM about talking to Matthew Ho. Um, is I I run a podcast. I call it's called Anti War Podcast, and the, it's why I am anti war. It's anyone, any reason that you oppose war, and I cut it down to like a five minute clip usually um of just what give me one reason that you are against war whoever you are whoever you're coming from and i'm trying to build that like culture of peace thing where people talk about maybe it's a book you read maybe you saw platoon you know what i mean you saw this christ figure being killed in war you know because that's what they do i I love the symbolism in that because because they have this christ figure like they have like you said they've deified veterans they've raised us up to this point where we can't be criticized but then they but then it uh kind of catch it we've got them in a catch 22 because if you raise us up to where we can't be criticized and we're the ones that are most vocally against these wars well now what are you going to do you know what i mean um so i think uh i i think you're right that we've got a good movement and i think it, it continues to grow i mean it started five years ago with just one lonely uh state delegate in west virginia you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and and it's and it's snowballed outward to 30 states now, some with some chances of getting out of committee. You know what I mean? We've got yeah. adjutant generals pulling their at least losing a little bit of hair and a little bit of sleep at night, wondering why they got to go speak, you know, to just, you know, to justify these ongoing wars, you know. Um, so I think it's doing some great things already and it's growing. And I, 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 I don't know. I hope this is the year that it, it, it gets passed. Um, and if not, you know, all the more, all the better that we have to make them fight again, you know, never in this battle. Well, if we can just get it passed in one state, it won't yeah. be long. I mean, it could be next year. All the dominoes fall. If, yeah. if, if all the other States see one state stand up, you know, it's kind of like the whole uh, marijuana thing. Yeah. Once one state stood up and, you know, legalized marijuana, all the other States are like, Oh, we can do that. All yeah. right. I think we're going to do I it too. Some, I think some states are afraid to be the tall poppy. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Um, but well, but and you look at, you look at what happened, you know, when, when California first legalized marijuana and the Obama administration sending the DEA in and busting mm-hmm. all the uh, legal dispensaries that, you know, because it was still illegal on the federal level, but that was mm-hmm. so unpopular. People were speaking out against it. So when, when, when it becomes like part of, the American psyche, like, oh, wait, we actually have control of our National Guard. That is our state's mm-hmm. National Guard. That is for our state's services and defense. Mm-hmm. That once people that becomes part of the American psyche, you'll see a lot of people start saying, why isn't our state doing that? Why is my son, who's who's supposed to be in the National Guard, who's in the National Guard, and he works full time, you know, doing whatever mm-hmm. over here, and now he's away for 13 months in Afghanistan. Why? Why is this happening? They never mm-hmm. declared war. What's going on? And, and once that becomes like a normal thought in the American mind, I think you will definitely see a lot of states follow suit. It's just a matter of getting that first domino to fall. Yeah. And, and that reminds me of another like talking point for people that are in support of this. Um, 
is that aspect of like, you know, they, they say they, they've tried to integrate, they, they, they use this concept. They say that the National Guard in the 80s, they started trying to come up with this total force concept, especially since they couldn't rely on conscription anymore. They wanted the National Guard and the reserves to be rotated in constantly so that they were a part of the force continuously, right? But one of the things they, and, and, and in a steady state of responding to humanitarian disasters and things like that, that's, that's one thing. One of the things that um, that doesn't really occur, that most people aren't familiar, don't even know what the National Guard is, you know what I mean, or what the difference between it and the regular army is. And one of the key differences is, yes, like, you know, at this point, everyone knows they were signing up and there was a chance they could go overseas. You know what I mean? Um, but if they, if they, if you join the National Guard, but what people don't think about is a National Guard unit deploying is different in like a, in like a key way, a regular army unit, you're full-time, that's your day job, you're training, you're going on field operations regular, relatively regularly, you're, you, you live in a military town surrounded by other military people, and that's what you do as your day job. When you have, an act, when you have a National Guard unit, when you have a reserve unit deployed, mm-hmm. you're a reserve unit, that person has a day job. Right. They're taken off from that day job. You know what I mean? So now that you deploy a reserve unit, they train up, they go, to fight, they go overseas, they come home, maybe they do it again, maybe two or three times, and when they leave, whatever job they held has to be held vacant because of a law they call USARA, Employer Protection of the Guard and Reserve or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, or if they're not, if they don't work for a corporation that's held to you, Sarah, if like, maybe they're a truck driver, maybe you're a, uh, my, my friend was a, was a contractor. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? We, we were in a reserve unit together. He was an independent contractor. He had to sell his truck. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? He had to sell his business when he deployed. Mm-hmm. Who else was going to do it? Right. You know what I mean? He's going to make payments on that and leave it idle. Right. And then he never got it back started again. So now you take a reserve unit and you deploy them. You take somebody out of their community where they're contributing to the economy you take them or you take a teacher out of a classroom, all those things. Right. Mm-hmm. But when you deploy the national guard, not only are you doing what you've done to a reservist by taking them out of their like full-time job and leaving that job vacant or, or just out of the economy, but you're also depriving that state of their guard for emergencies. Like we talked about before, right? Cause reserve units don't respond to emergencies the way national guard does. So now you de- there's like, three times the cost. It's not just sending a, a unit on a deployment, like an active duty unit. And they're going to, you know, their wife's going to miss them and, and whatever. It's also hurting your local economy by taking them out of the local economy first response and, and disproportionately from things that like from jobs that people revere. Like these are usually people that already are trying their best to contribute to society and in, in, in valuable ways. And then on the weekends do more. So you, you deploy a guard unit, you're taking that and when the state needs them in an emergency, they're gone. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so that, you know, so there's, that's just another good reason to, to recognize this difference that it is when you start relying so heavily on the guard for everything. Mm -hmm. And when they are a regular, they're heavily used like every year, it's about 30,000 that are deployed every year and about 10,000 or so to, um, combat zones okay mm-hmm. so every year they deploy about thirty thousand on different operations training things and whatnot or these um 
what they call Atlantic Resolve, where they have them running around Poland and Ukraine doing training op- operations against the, the Russians, you know? Yeah. Um, or they have them sitting around in Saudi Arabia doing missile defense. Um, so, but there's only about 10,000 every year that are deployed or, or less that are deployed into like Syria. There's a, the New Hampshire National Guard, I think is in Syria right now, guarding the oil fields. Mm-hmm. Um, those are the only ones that would be taken out. Those training operations and stuff, the army could still keep those. But even right. then taking that, just that few thousand out, it, it'll, it'll, it'll have an effect. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. All this information, like, can be found at um, bring bring our troops home dot us right uh yeah, bring our troops home uh and defend the guard dot us defend, um is is yeah. is bring our troops home dot us as well yeah they're affiliated it's uh uh they're they're closely affiliated bring our troops home is more of the um right wing anti war veterans movement is what bring our troops home is focused on. Okay. Uh, defend the guard is specifically about just this bill, this bill. and where you can find um, your state contact point. Gotcha. Uh, they don't have somebody for every state, so you should take a look at the map. See, click on your state. See if you're if you're interested in the bill. See if your state has a point of contact because they don't have one for every state. And if not, you could be that point of contact. Mm-hmm. Um, and if if so, then you can find the point of contact. So like. Um, and and get a hold of them because that's the other thing we need to do is kind of get more organized show up in group groups and pairs and twos right. and threes to the state legislators if right you can, you well know? and i so i know those. you you said you said uh you need some people active in michigan and i know i know some guys in michigan so i'll i'll definitely make sure they get a hold of this podcast and, mm-hmm. and understand know what's going on yeah yeah um what what are what are the next steps that that are going to be taken on this? Uh, I, I'm, I know it ranges from state to state, but mm-hmm. as far as uh, what you're seeing, what's the next next activity that's coming up that we need to be aware of? So, yeah, the, the, it, you'll have to check. It, it, like I said, it varies state by state. So if your state has introduced, if it's one of the majority of states, now, like I said, we've grown from one state in five years, it's grown from a one state thing to a 30 state thing, you know? If you're in one of those states where it's been introduced, um, you need to help it get over the hump. So there's somebody there who's simp- you've got a sympathetic ear already. Mm-hmm. Somebody in your state legislator is on your team already. And now you have to help them make friends and help them win over the rest of their legislator, right. um, which, you know, is, you know, a tough battle in some of those states. Um if it's not introduced in your state, if you're Maryland like me or one of those other states, we need to get together in groups. We need to figure out our best way, who our sympathetic legislator will be and, and get in a room with them mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, and try to, try to, try to sweet talk them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it, it's, it's, so if it's introduced in your state, then you've got to, you've got to get together in groups and uh find that sympathetic person already and find who's there who the next domino we need to fall is you know what i mean yeah that, that that's really what it is is you need to find the next domino um right. whoever that is in your state find the next domino that needs to fall if if none has fallen yet then you know we need to find that person who might you know mm-hmm. um and get get together with them if it gets out of committee in texas um or one, or one of the other states where it's going through committee and it has a shot then it's going to go to the floor and it's going to be an even bigger fight 
because um, then it, that hasn't happened yet anywhere. So if it goes <laughs> to the floor, you could probably expect um, the National Guard, the government to, 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 to really get a little squirrely. You'll probably see CNN freaking out. Yeah. <laughs> so butt cheeks are going to be clinching. Uh, and that'll be great, but mm -hmm. we need to be prepared for that. If that right. happens, you know, then uh, we need to really like, you know, find the people who are supporting it, find the state legislators who voted for it, find the ones who voted against it in committee, um, get your friends, email. Like, like I said, the best thing the state legislators said to me is try to get in a room with them and tr try to be non-confrontational. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, That's not me. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I, you know, I, I came with a little too. I, you know, I, uh, I tried letter writing and that got me nowhere. It got right. me kind of a tepid, like, I don't know what this is, but here form letter response kind of nonsense. Did you try sending enough already? <laughs> Maybe, you know, um, local radio, local radio. If you can get a minute on your local radio station, um, Try to try to get it in your state. Try to get somebody's yep. ear about it. Um, yep. When your state legislator is talking on an inter, you know, if you're if you listen to your local PBS station or whatever, and your state delegates on about something, well, you know, I want to ask a question, and then, you know, yeah, bring up defend the guard to them. Um, the, a lot of people just don't know. It, we've got a lot of uh, educating to do. We've got to get a lot more of the public to know about this. Mm -hmm. We got a lot of get, and we got to get a lot more state legislators to know about it. There's no good reason I could think of not to support it, but that doesn't mean they won't try. Right. You know? Yeah. Okay, uh, man. Well, I want to, I want to go ahead and wrap it up. I know you got to yeah. go and I got to get back on the road. So go ahead and make sure you put all, all those plugs one more time. So everybody knows where to find you. Yeah, I appreciate it. So the main thing I'd love, actually, I'm only going to give one and that's anti-war podcast at antiwarpodcast.com. Uh, please. Um, it's, I just do an episode a week. I try to keep them short. Um, I'm doing a series right now on the sort of religious reasons to be anti-war. So I've uh, spoken to um, uh, a Catholic and a, uh, uh, a Quaker, and I'm speaking to uh, a, a Jewish person uh, uh, this weekend. So I'm doing religious reasons to be anti-war, but then I do movies, books, whatever. If you have any reason you're anti-war, email me, antiwarpodcast at gmail.com. And, uh, and I'll, uh, and we'll talk for a little bit and I'll just hear your reason for being anti-war and, uh, we'll put it out there. Cause I want everyone to have like the reason that speaks to them. Cause somebody right. out there, it'll work for somebody else. Somebody yeah. might just look back at the Bible and be like, maybe I should be more peaceful or somebody might flip open that book or watch that movie. If you say, I love this movie, you know, yeah. Scott Horton, his reason was, uh, George Carlin. Yeah. Yeah. George I, I listened to your episode. I listened to your episode. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Cool. I, yeah. Yeah. That was, that yeah. was, I, I love listening to Scott talk about stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's what we need is more people showing, sharing their reasons. Like facts, yeah. uh, facts will get some of us a long way, but feelings get, uh, seem to go further. So that's you, what I'm trying to give. Were you the one who came up with the idea to do the whole hashtag why I'm anti war a couple of years ago? Uh, no, I stole that one. Oh, okay. I, I, okay. I'm, I'm riding. I, You're just I, riding I, it. <laughs> yeah, I'm riding that one. All right. That's <laughs> yeah, all right. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's uh, it's what I want is everyone's reasons. And and when I saw that, I was like, yeah, you know, let's build on this. You know, yeah, yeah. that was a cool idea. That yeah, that, that was a really cool idea. But all right, man. Well, all right, all right, all right. Calm down, boogie. All right, we're gonna get out of here. Dude. <laughs> Take her easy. All right, Thanks. man. You have a good one. We'll talk to you later. Play
scam of pick and choose Well, it's a game that was made for you to lose It doesn't really matter how many times It's the same old worn-out story, same old lines There are one dirty fingers in hypocrisy Bragging on their feet of mediocrity again Don't feed them cause we don't even need them I never celebrate the parents out of taking our freedoms Yeah, I said fuck them Don't feed them cause we don't even need them I never celebrate the parents out of taking our freedoms What's it gonna take for you to see That we're living in a rigged democracy